The following is a message from Reverend Ken Belden of Wellsprings Congregation. So this past week, as I was preparing for this new message series, this Keeping the Holy in Your Holidays, I entered the words holidays and survival into a search engine. How many hits do you think I got? Guess? Millions. How many millions? Seven millions. Seven million hits for the words holidays and survival. You add the word guide in there, holiday survival guide, well, you only get about three and a half million hits. Maybe some of you feel this way. Maybe some of you are starting to feel that creeping stress of the holiday season. And there's good reason for this. Holidays, food, family, religion, money, faith, people of different faith orientations, religion, love. All these things are ultimate things. And all ultimate things can trail with them in the back of them. A lot of stress. And so maybe you're one of those people, and sometimes I'm like this, I'm one of those people who says, you know what? I'll just grin and bear it, even if it's through gritted teeth. I'll just survive this year. I'll just get through it, and I'll wait until the beginning of January, and then it'll all be okay. But this is the thing. If year after year this is your attitude, that getting through that time just before Thanksgiving until right after New Year's is just a time to survive, if you're looking for that holiday survival guide, you know what you've effectively done? You've handed back one-eleventh of your life. You've handed back one-eleventh of your life saying, this is a time in which I know I'm not going to grow. Just imagine that. You're saying, nearly a tenth of my time, I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm not going to flourish. I'm just going to try and get by. Now, I've got to tell you, this try and get by kind of mindset is really good when it comes to sitting in a dentist chair. Grin, well, maybe you can't grin, but bear it, certainly. Tolerance is really good when we're talking about things for which you maybe don't have the highest pain threshold. But it's not a great skill if we're talking about living our lives, and particularly every year when these holiday season comes around, and we're talking about more than a month of our time. Because at the end of our lives, we're not going to get back this time as credit for time served. It's not the way it works. There are real reasons for stress at this holiday season during these December holidays. But because the stress all comes from things that we tend to care about a great deal, there are also amazing opportunities for us to grow. Grow emotionally, grow maturationally, grow relationally, and grow spiritually. And so, yes, we can grow together, not just survive, but also thrive in this crazy, overstuffed time of year. And so I offer you these ten tips, not just to survive, but to thrive at this holiday season. The first... And this one is more social than it is personal. But it's absolutely important to remember because it stirs up a lot of ill will and a lot of unnecessary passion and just a lot of tension. We don't need any more this time of year. The first is this. There is no war on Christmas. We are a religiously pluralistic nation, more so than any time in our history. And we've always been trying to negotiate what our public spaces look like and should feel like. And sometimes this does go overboard into a very silly kind of politically correct overreaction. I grew up 
Uh, mostly, I say mostly because it never really took in me because my parents didn't really try to give me that much of my identity. A mostly Jewish kid in a mostly Christian community in a public school. And yes, we sang some carols and the school had green and red. But I got to tell you, it was not the fault of the public school system that because I sang Santa Claus is Coming to Town that now I'm a Unitarian Universalist. <laughs> we all could do really well for ourselves to absolutely lighten up at this time of year. If someone says Merry Christmas to you and that's not really primarily the holiday that you celebrate, just say Happy Holidays back to them. And you know what? If the reverse happens and you say Happy Holidays to someone and they snarl back at you, Merry Christmas. You know what I ask you to do? Say, how would Jesus respond? Just ask him, how would Jesus respond? That might stop them in their tracks and say, you know what? Maybe that kind of tension really isn't what the spirit of the season is about. So generally, yes, there is no war on Christmas. But I have to tell you, you study our history, and there absolutely has been a war on Christmas in the past. An absolute war on Christmas. And it's important, critically important, to remember who waged it. So hear these words. It is therefore ordered by this court and the authority thereof that whosoever shall be found observing any such day as Christmas or the like, either by forbearing of labor or feasting or any other way of celebration, every such person observing Christmas shall, so offending shall pay for every such offense five shillings as a fine to the county. Doesn't sound like the Muslim world, does it? Those are the words of the general court of Massachusetts, of the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1659. That's right. Massachusetts banned Christmas. It banned Christmas for almost 25 years up into the 1680s. And actually what they were doing was just following in that great line from which the Puritans were descended. Oliver Cromwell in 1647 banned the practice of Christmas in Great Britain. He called it, and he was virulently anti-Catholic, he called it the Papist. Massing Day. He called it the Old Heathen Feasting Day. King's Chapel, which is now the oldest continuous Unitarian church in America, in Boston, you can go visit. They're worshiping right now as we are. Well, actually, not quite looking like me or sounding like us, but they're worshiping. They're worshiping right now. They had their windows broken in the early 1700s by anti Christmas Christian rioters. The King's Chapel people, that's his name, they were the Church of England. They celebrated Christmas. The Puritans outside said, uh-uh, we don't want Christmas in our neighborhood. And in some ways, those Puritans were reacting against something they were right to perceive, not in their reactions, but in their thinking. Because you know what? Christmas, in and of itself, is completely impure. It is a collection of so many different traditions, Jewish and Christian and pagan. Its provenance is... There's no alpha point. There's no point at which we can go back and say, there, in the past, Christmas was pure. And if we could get back there, then we could take out all the other stuff. You take out some of the strands, and pretty soon it's like peeling an onion. All you're left with at the end is your tears. There is no point at which Christmas was pure. And it's one of the reasons that I love it, even as someone who grew up Jewish. Jesus wasn't born in the wintertime, I can tell you. The 25th date was probably set because of Saturnalia, which was the recognition in the Roman times of the fact that the sun was dying at this time of year and then rising. So Christmas was never pure. 
So as a matter of law, the Puritans were absolutely wrong, and now we can laugh and say how silly their efforts were. But it also clues us into this one thing, which is that it is always such an imperiled thing to you know, believe in theocracy. Because the banning explicitly of a holiday or promoting explicitly a holiday absolutely accomplishes nothing at all meaningful. Because you can coerce someone not to celebrate outwardly what they want to celebrate inwardly and they'll still believe it. And you can mandate that someone can celebrate something, must celebrate it, but you will not touch their heart. That's why one of the central principles of our Unitarian Universalist tradition, our free faith says that coercion in matters political but especially spiritual finally does no good. So don't feel coerced this holiday season. Let's all lighten up a little bit. Let's let down the PC barriers and let's all recognize there is no war on Christmas. But maybe the Puritans were onto something, not legally. They were wrong in doing what they did. But maybe psychologically, they were really clued in. Because what the holiday season can reveal in us is this sense of heightened expectation. This leads us to our second tip. What the Puritans were worrying about is that perhaps there would be too much jollity. There'd be too much joy. There'd be too much merrymaking. There'd be too much feasting this time of the year. And so they were afraid of heightened expectations. I don't think we should be afraid of heightened expectations this time of year, but we should be careful with this season's highs. Not afraid, but careful. It is a season of great heightened desires for many of us, a time in which our senses are probably more likely to tingle and we're more clued into what we want or what we think we want. This could be the time of the year in which we're focusing on maybe this is the year when I get the gift I really want or maybe this is the year when the gift that I give will be received and all the love that I offer it. Or maybe this is the time of year where you're really banking on that big bonus to come through from your work. Or maybe this is the time of year when you can really think about reconciling with family or friends from whom you are estranged because you're thinking back to the past and saying this holiday season seems different and a little less joyless than it was some years ago. Or perhaps this will be the holiday season when you sit there eating that dry turkey or dry goose or dry ham. You can look at your sister across the dining room table and not shoot daggers of hate at her. I don't do that with my sister, but you know I've heard these kind of stories over the year. Or maybe this is just the time of the year when you feel that spiritual itch and you want to scratch it, and it hasn't been scratched in a very long time. Some of us feel just more exposed at this holiday season in the midst of all these wants and all these desires. And actually, the way I encourage you to handle them is a Buddhist story. There's a very, very ancient story about a dedicated, dedicated student of a master in an abbot, in a monastery, who is meditating one day, and as he is sitting on his cushion, he has a vision. He has a vision of the Buddha. He has a vision of the Buddha himself and he's so excited that he breaks his meditation and he runs down the halls of the monastery and he goes to find the great abbot, the great teacher, the master. He says, Master, Master, I have seen, I have seen the Buddha in my meditation. And the master, being in meditation himself, continues to breathe, opens his eyes and says, go back to your mat, resume your meditation, continue your breathing and I'm sure the Buddha will go away. That's what checking ourselves and being careful with our high expectations is all about. The holiday season can become about the spectacle. It can become about the high. It can become about thinking that we need to get everything we want so that we are happy. 
So try to avoid the spectacle this season. And be cautious. Don't be afraid of joy or merrymaking. But be cautious that the highs you are anticipating might be too high for you to really reach. Because it is the day in, day out, living through December, that the same skill that will equip us for spiritual growth all year long. Being here in the moment. So as we try not to get swept away by the spectacles of the season, this leads to the third thing. Try not to get swept under by the downward pull of sadness or depression. Don't neglect the season's lows. The December blues are a real thing. I'm not particularly feeling them at this time of the year, but I know I have because of absence of loved one or loss or depression in past seasons. Don't neglect the season's lows. December blues, if they're real for you, don't pretend they don't exist. Rather, reflect on why you are feeling them. Ask yourself the question, who is missing from my life? What meaning is missing in my life? What is different now than perhaps it was? And perhaps you're trying to recapture that sense of being a child at Christmas time or the holiday season, and the best you can do is just say, well, I'm an adult now, and it's different, so I can be thankful for what was, but I can also face what is right now. See, our ancestors knew the value of light in winter, of light at the darkest times. They knew this in their celebrations. And so worldwide at this time of the year, especially in colder climates, light factors in so importantly. Our ancestors didn't have selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And so they did the best that they could to treat seasonal affected mood disorder. They thought that a little bit of light in the darkness was an important thing. And so for lack of light or lack of love, I would encourage you, if you feel yourself feeling blue at this time of the year, to name first your feelings. Don't drink them away. Certainly don't drug them away. Don't run away from them. Talk to people you trust about them. And recognize that the pressure of all this merrymaking can actually make you feel worse (laughs) if you're feeling low already. Sadness and depression, unfortunately, are a part of many of our lives. The important thing is not to blame yourself, not to drown your sorrows, but to try to understand and to follow the dictum of the great psychotherapist, psychologist Carl Jung, who said the only way out is through. The only way out of what we are feeling is through greater understanding. So as you start to understand your highs and your lows, start also to discern this difference. The difference between what fills you up and what stuffs you up. There's a great writer, a guy, I think he teaches at Harvard University. And he's one of these new happiness study kind of people. He's a psychologist by training and does a lot of the social science, not just the uh, clinical stuff of meeting with, uh, with clients. Daniel Gilbert is his name. And he says that we as a species are really, really lousy at predicting what will make us happy. Really, really lousy. I mean, the, 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 the signature example that he uses is you are banking, 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 banking on getting the promotion. And you get it. And for a while, you are extremely elevated and extremely high and is wonderful. But almost without a doubt and without exception, two weeks or two months later, your happiness will have reverted to exactly what it was back before you got the promotion. This is one of those things they've observed over and over and over again in the clinical studies. So I'm going to ask you to do this thought experiment when it comes to finding out the difference between what really fills you up and what just sort of stuffs you up, just gives you more stuff. When you are discerning 
this year about buying a gift or putting a gift on your wish list for someone else to buy for you, ask yourself this question. Will this gift that I give or this gift that I hope to receive, will it be as meaningful to me in December as it will be in April or in August? Ask yourself that question. And again, projectors, we're not often that great at it, but at least asking the question through the thought experiment leads us to start to believe that yes, there are some things that fill us up truly, fill our spirits, fill our lives, and some things, frankly, this time of the year, it's just about more stuff. It's like when you say, you can push away from the table, I am full, I've had my share. And those times that perhaps a lot of us do at this particular holiday season in the year, ugh, I'm stuffed. There's a difference between those two things. Begin to discern that. It's very much Augustine's ancient prayer that he says when we have too full hands, too much overstuffed hands, he says God, as he understood God, is always wanting to give us new things is always wanting to send new life to us. That the universe is always inviting us into a new way of being. But the problem is, if our hands are stuffed, we will not be able to receive the new things that life wants to give us. So be prepared this season to receive something new. Not just more stuff, but maybe something that you've been truly, truly longing for. And so keep space open in your hands and in your hearts. Because first... You have to name the absence or the thing that you truly wish for. And so number five is this. And it's a skill a lot of us resist. It's a skill I know I resist. I like to talk about fullness. We like to talk about presence. But a skill for this time of year is learning to love emptiness. Learn to love the not yet present. Learn to love the open spaces. Learn to love the not already known. This is what the great poet Rilke said. Learn to live the questions. Live the questions first and you might find in time that you will understand the answers you've been seeking for. But don't rush prematurely to the answers. Learn to love the questions. Learn to love emptiness, what you can't yet know as a teacher. Instructing you in the difference between what is just a passing want or a passing fancy and something that is really a deep, substantial need. This is the difference between beginning to feel a call, which is never answered all at once, and just feeling a little bit of an itch, which can be taken care of immediately. I saw two separate studies in this past week that really get to what this particular tip is about. You know, the highest correlation in terms of our uh, degree to which we are consumers, you know what the clearest indicator is? our low self-esteem. Studies, one was among adults, one was among teenagers. And there was a direct correlation in these social science studies between a person's low self-esteem and their desire, especially as we approach the December holidays, to have to treat themselves with what we call, you've heard the phrase before, retail therapy. That momentary lift up that we get, but again, sort of like Daniel Gilbert, that happiness scientist was talking about, it really is momentary. It's not going to fill the need. It's not going to help us go deeper. And so learn to love the emptiness. Learn to love the emptiness because it might be calling you to a new level of fullness that you never knew before. At Wellsprings in our DNA and our core values and beliefs, we'd like to talk about God-shaped holes. God-shaped holes were really those calls within us that can only be filled, not with new things, not with anxious yearnings, but with meaning and with true relationship and with gratitude and with spiritual growth 
and with honesty and with belonging. But God-shaped holes take a while to be filled and finally can only be filled by by God-shaped stuff. So as you are patient, I hope, as you are patient, I hope, this holiday season with what you don't have, I would ask that you practice your best judgment with what you will spend. And so number six is, maybe some of you do this already, but if you don't, I'd really ask you to consider this. Consider limits for gift purchases. Consider limits. Your credit card statements at the end of January will thank you. But it's about more than that. It's not about just resisting a negative. It's not about punishment. It's about stewardship. It's about being responsible for the gifts that we have and sharing them responsibly. I have to say that the first Christmas that my wife and I were together, and we weren't married yet then, so I think we were still kind of you know, proving ourselves to each other, we went insane with how much that we bought for each other. I'm not going to even share the amount with you, because frankly I'm a little ashamed of it looking back. We got each other a lot of stuff. And that was, you know, motivated by the fact that we were falling in love with each other. It was great. However, in the three holiday seasons and three Christmases since, we have set firm ceilings, absolute ceilings on what we will spend on each other. And I have to tell you, I have to tell you, from that first Christmas that we were together, I only remember one gift that she got me out of all that stuff. And it was a CD that she burned for me from songs that she thought I would like. The CD itself cost $1.99, I believe. What was there was the heart that she put in it. In those years since, we have kept to that limit. One year, I think it was $125. We've actually found that we will bring it down this year. We're going to bring it down to $100 that we'll spend on each other. You know, these are your circumstances. going to ask you to think about what's meaningful for you. What I've found is it actually makes me more creative. It makes me a better steward of that hundred dollars instead of just blowing it all at once. It's kind of like what Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard, one of my famous, favorite theologians said, he understood the devil as to be the one for whom everything is possible and nothing is actual. You understand that? That the devil can't practice stewardship because everything is on the table but nothing is ever made real. And so by limiting the amount that we will spend on our gifts, we admit that we can't do everything, but the some things that we can do can be meaningful. In the years since that Teresa and I have practiced this, we have found that the gifts we have given each other have become so much more heart-centered and fun. Last year, if any of you are South Park fans, I got her a Swiss Colony beef log because I had $5 left to spend. Not too many South Park fans here anyway. Watch that episode. In baseball terms, I voluntarily make myself the Oakland A's rather than the New York Yankees. As many of you know, I am a Yankees fan. The Yankees have almost limitless resources to spend. They can spend beyond their mistakes. But the Oakland A's are a successful small market team that year after year seem to be contending because they are so crafty with the money that they have to spend. They are so wise with the money that they have to spend. And they are such good stewards of the resources they have. And as a result, excuse me, It actually is more fun in many ways, and I can say this as a Yankees fan, to root for the A's than it is to root for those with limitless money. And as a couple, for Teresa and myself, we have found that as we spend less money on ourselves, it liberates us to spend more money according to our values at the holiday season. And we've already started talking about the very substantial gift that we will give when we collect on Christmas Eve for our Habitat for Humanity house. 
and that is directly because we believe that value is more important to us than the value of adding to the stuff that we have. So we start to discern that. Consider the limits for your gift purchase, not as punishing yourself, but as a way of saying, we will share our resources in such a way that is meaningful. And you know what? I recognize those of you with kids, maybe it's easy for me because I don't have kids. Engage your kids with this. Say, you know what? We were going to spend this amount of money on you, but we're going to give you 10% of that. And whatever you think is most important, you are going to donate that money to your most important value. Start that practice this holiday season and see where that gets you five, ten years down the road and see how much your kids will love that and how meaningful it will be for them. So alongside this practice of spending wisely, instead of focusing on getting what you want, try wanting what you have this year. Listen to something none of us like to listen to But we're hardwired for it, folks. It's not a real nice part of who we are. But listen to covetousness. Listen to jealousy. That do not covet commandment, I believe, is probably the most important... Well, the killing one is frankly the most important. But (laughs) we've proven ourselves not too good at that one these last couple thousand years, three thousand years. But this do not covet commandment is really important because it's psychologically so acute. Not just morally, but psychologically. Because really what it says is all the time that we spend coveting what someone else has, or even more insidiously, all the time that we spend jealous of who someone else is, not just what they have, but who someone else is, this is all time wasted because we are not living our own lives. Look inside your heart. Know what you're like when you're jealous and admit that you can be jealous. I'm admitting that I'm jealous because I'm preaching on jealousy. All the time that we are jealous, all the time that we are covetous, is time when we are handing over our lives to that green-eyed monster. And so admit that jealousy can be part of the season and we might be peeking over what's underneath someone else's tree and not paying attention to our own gifts. I really like what Einstein said and applies to this way of thinking about our spiritual development in this point. Einstein said we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. We can't solve problems by using the exact same kind of thinking that created them. Which is a way of saying jealousy and covetousness will get you absolutely nowhere and will not bring you what you want. The drive for more won't free us. What will? Well, just this past Friday... A number of us, about 30, 35 of us here at Wellsprings, we completed a daily gratitude practice. Every day, online, going out into the community, practicing with our families, having the opportunity to really focus on our blessings. And when we focus on our blessings, where we put our energy is eventually who we will become and what we will become. So learning to appreciate and learning to know our blessings is the only antidote to covetousness. Taking appreciation and having appreciation, and having greater awareness and patience in this season of instant gratification takes time. It takes time. And so our eighth tip is this. Practice waiting. Practice waiting. Maybe if you have an opportunity to do this because you're in a doctor's or a dentist's office the next few weeks, I'd encourage you very practically to practice waiting. That's what the original meaning of Advent is. You know, those little Advent calendars that you count down and you get the little candies inside. Advent actually means a process of waiting 
hopefully, and honesty. John Spong talks about prayer not as getting in touch with a God who will give you exactly what you want, like some sort of Santa Claus figure, but prayer as preparation, as a time of preparing yourself for something new, keeping yourself open to what you don't yet know, very much related to the sense of practicing emptiness. Practice waiting this season. The way that I'm going to commit to this, and I invite you, those of you who are interested in this, to join me, is I have picked three days this holiday season, this season in which it is so much about eating and stuffing and filling and all these kinds of things in which intake, intake, intake. I have picked three different days this month before Christmas in which I will be fasting. Fasting is an ancient and very spiritual practice of recognizing emptiness and learning to wait. Now, fasting is not good for all of us. You know, you know your health concerns better than I do. And frankly, because I've got a very fast metabolism, I may take about a half cup of V8 in the morning just to keep myself from having headaches. But this practice of fasting is all about learning to wait joyfully and spiritually. Because as you go through the day, if you've ever done a fast before, you will recognize that you will start to feel yourself getting hungry. And what you do in a day of fast is instead, instead of feeding that need right away, there will be tomorrow, you'll be able to eat, you focus your thoughts and your heart on what are the deeper hungers, not just the physical hungers, what are the deeper hungers inside your life that can't be fed immediately, but only take time. When we fast, we truly practice waiting. And so if you're interested in this, get in touch with me and we'll practice together throughout this month. I know the dates that I have in mind. Don't take it on lightly because I got to tell you by about hour 12 or hour 14 of a fast, you will really want to eat. And that's the time when you really start to learn about what practicing waiting can do for you. This is a season in which new things are born. The sun comes around once again. It's the turning of the year. Something new is happening. And so remember that in number nine. December darkness is a time for December dreaming. Trust the darkness. Let's say this explicitly. Trust the darkness. All things that are originally born are born into darkness. The self-enclosure of the egg, the enclosure of the womb, underground where the seed goes in the soil, in the quiet, not yet heard recesses of your heart. All things begin in darkness. That's where new dreams emerge. And so take a cue from nature. Take a cue from the turning of the year. Yes, the holiday lights are wonderful, but at times, frankly, the holiday lights are nothing more than a big casino just trying to distract us from the fact that darkness is part of nature at this time of the year. Darkness does not need to be feared. New Year's resolutions, the ones that really make a difference for you, start here and they start now. This is a preparation time for perhaps some of the most profound changes that you will experience. But they will take time. And they will come about not by shining the brightest light possible on them, but by allowing them to exist in the darkness and grow as they need to. And so as you are growing, finally do not forget that there are other hands to help you along this season as you prepare your spiritual way this time of year. The tenth. Remember to reach out. So we return to where we started. We return to the fact that why there are over 7 million hits on survival and the holidays. 
This is and can be a very stressful time. Losses of parents or spouses or relationships or jobs. I mean, they're tough enough to handle all the year long anyway. But they can feel so much more acute at this time of the year in which we can feel almost as if the whole rest of the world except for us has been invited to the dance and we've lost our ticket and we can't get in. Depression and sadness are unfortunately very much a part of this season for some of us. And it might seem that way for you that you are destined to be lonely. But truly, this is one of the great things about spiritual community, is you do not have to be alone. I want to tell you this very, very honestly. If you are struggling this holiday season, please reach out. If you feel a loneliness that you do not understand, if you feel a sadness that no amount of tissues will wipe away, reach out. Reach out to me. Reach out to the people you see seated next to you. If you are struggling, do not just have to fight your way through it. A lot of our society has become either codependent or counterdependent. There's a different model we have, which is interdependence, of truly sharing our experiences in our lives with each other and recognizing that we don't have to go it alone even when we don't feel at our best. So yes, you might feel lonely, but you don't have to be alone. Wellsprings is here for you. And the amazing thing is, is that even if you drag your broken carcass in here some Sunday morning, you are automatically here for other people as well. You might feel you have nothing to give, but your presence here could work magic in another person's life just by seeing you or just by exchanging a friendly word with you. Remember this holiday season to reach out and not to be alone. So there it is. Ten tips for how you can not just survive, but thrive this holiday season. And I'll read them again. I'll send them out to you this week. One, remember there is no war on Christmas, but there once was, and those who waged it would be very surprised to hear that some of their ancestors were part of that. Two, be careful with the season's highs. Don't just try to be high all the time. Three, don't neglect the season's lows. Listen to what is troubling you. Four, there is a difference between what fills you up and what stuffs you up. Five, learn to love emptiness. Six, consider if you're not already doing it, limits for your gift purchases, not as punishment, but as stewardship. Seven, listen, although it's not a real pleasant part of ourselves, to covetousness or jealousy. Eight, practice waiting. Nine, remember that December darkness is a time for new dreams. And ten, Remember to reach out. I think that for all the silly parts of the holidays that spiritual communities really earn their bread and butter at this time of the year. Because it's all there. All the stress and all the love and all the things we worry about and all the things we want to become, it's all packed into this little five, six week period. And what I encourage you to do is that if you turn over the rock of the things that you think are stressing you out, what you will find underneath is actually your own heart. And the bonus is this, that if you can learn to thrive at the holiday season, the rest of the year is going to be a piece of cake. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together.
Spirit who calls us to live responsibly in time. Let us enter this season of busyness and gladness and sadness and so many things. May we enter this season fully equipped to know all that our lives contain. May we seek to feed deep hungers, not just momentary passing fancies. May we reach out to each other in a spirit of openness and honesty and not simply, Hi, how are you doing? May we come to know that all seasons in life serve a purpose and that this time on our calendar and in our lives can do so as well. So let us be here together. Let us be here for each other together. And let us be called into this season that is coming to be with gladness and purpose and the knowledge that we are not alone. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Wellsprings Congregation. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can reach us at wellspringsuu.org.